welcome to episode 70 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. We're going to do a best of 2020 uh, episode today. Um, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of discussion in this past year regarding PFO, um, PFOS, our fire gear, our firefighting foam. We're just learning so much more about this. Uh, I thought I'd consolidate some of those different interviews and put them kind of all on one show as far as just some highlights, some different parts of that. So with that being said, let's go ahead and just jump right into kind of the the man who really put this on the radar, I think, at least through the U.S., and that's attorney Rob Ballot. So uh, that is all the way back in episode 21, uh, January of this year, in which I discussed with him. But uh, for this clip, we kind of talk about firefighters and how we have these additional exposures that the normal human being doesn't have and, and kind of what the plan is from here on out to uh, to take care of that. So here's attorney Rob Ballot. You know, I think it's probably time now to actually talk about firefighting. You know, um, being in this occupation and, and, and knowing that we're already exposed to carcinogens at every fire. Um, regardless of if we're wearing all of our PPE, we're still going to be exposed. You know, we have the diesel exhaust, uh, the shift work, which is a, a known carcinogen or probable carcinogen. Um, that's already scary enough. And then you throw in the fact that uh, this, this stuff is in our firefighting foam and uh, potentially in some of our, our firefighter gear, at least uh, the older um, versions, I guess 2012 and before. Um, and not to mention as well, um, the, uh, the, again, these chemicals that are just in our, the natural environment, whether it's the carpet or clothing or pans and everything else that will we'll run into an off gas in an actual fire. Uh, it's quite, uh, it's quite scary. Um, but, uh, do we have any idea of the extent of firefighters again because we're the, the normal human being is going to get exposed but for us we're getting you know uh, exposed to this stuff exponentially yeah and in fact um, you know the more I was delving into the related chemicals and particularly PFOS which was used you know extensively for firefighting foam the more aware I became of the potential, you know, for significant exposures among firefighters and emergency responders, um, that you know, I really started focusing in on those issues, and particularly with local firefighters who came to us and were raising concerns, you know, about the firefighting foam. You know, it wasn't. Um, it's only recently that really any kind of awareness of of the scope of that exposure is starting to emerge even though you know, that's been known within the companies for quite some time, you know, that these chemicals were in firefighting foam, they've been used in various types of um, fabric coatings and things, as you mentioned, you know, historically at least. Um, and I wrote a letter after looking at all this to the Federal um, Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, which is a bit of a mouthful, but they're the federal agency that's supposed to do health studies uh, for exposures to hazardous chemicals. Back, I wrote a letter in 2017 trying to encourage the agency to look not only at exposure to PFOS chemicals in drinking water, but also among firefighters. 
Um, since then, ATSDR has announced a nationwide uh, study looking at drinking water exposures, but unfortunately has specifically carved out uh, the firefighter exposures. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the main reasons, you know, I wanted to make sure that a comprehensive, independent, scientific studies are done looking at these broader exposures, including firefighters, particularly with foams and, and potentially gear, um, you know, through this idea of having an independent panel uh, through this litigation we're pursuing right now. You know, if, if the agencies aren't going to do those studies, um, if the companies aren't going to voluntarily do those, you know, we, maybe through litigation we can get independent scientists to get enough money to do those types of studies. Um, you know, when, particularly if you're talking about cancer studies, you typically need a pretty, pretty large number of individuals, you know, to be able to do those studies. And they're expensive, you know, so getting the funding is, is a problem as well. But I'm trying to do whatever I can to at least raise awareness um, within the firefighting community that these exposures likely have occurred, at least in the past, with the foams and the, you know, potentially other sources as well. And let's at least try to get the studies done. You know, as, as you indicated, there's all, already a lot known about the potential risk of various carcinogens through firefighting activities. We also have a lot of information about the PFOS chemicals and what they do and the types of cancers they, they, they generate. But there hasn't been much done to date yet to look at the connection, if any, between the two, between PFOS and any of these cancers in the firefighting community. So I think that's the missing piece that really I'm hoping folks will start to focus on um, and at least try to fill in and see if there's a connection there. And if, if so, what can be done? Um, and luckily, in the meantime, we're seeing efforts being undertaken, at least at the state level, to require the phase-out of a lot of these um, foams that use these chemicals in the past. Um, I know there's legislation being discussed right now to try to do that, um, you know, on a broader scale as well. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's something I'm hoping to at least make sure people are aware of and at least we can start making sure the proper studies are underway to look at and see whether these connections exist, and if so, what can be done to, to, to make sure that those are taken care of. All right, once again, that was Attorney Rob Allot, Episode 21. You can hear his whole story. Uh, next up, let's go to uh, Professor Graham Peasley from the University of Notre Dame. He was uh, back in episode 44. I happened to be the first person I got to interview him uh, right when his study was released regarding uh, firefighting gear with PFAS and PFOA. So in this clip here, we kind of sum it up. And this is after, by the way, he goes on a about 26-minute uh, tangent about just uh, just goes off on his study, which, you know, I know he's been working on that for a long time and he finally had the opportunity to talk and boy he talked it's worth checking out you know i just let him go and he did his thing but uh in this clip we kind of sum it up we talk about okio tech and then we also talk about just being responsible and uh wearing the gear until there is a safe alternative so without further ado here's dr graham peasley university of notre dame i just want to make sure i'm on the same page as you 
because mm-hmm. you you said an awful awful lot there. Definitely Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It's good. So, just just for uh, kind of my summary, my thoughts in my head, mm-hmm. we know that our gear from 2012 before had PFOA and C8, and we know that even though that's supposed to be an outer shell, it was still migrating into places where it shouldn't be, and that we were losing. Uh, some of these chemicals and and where they were going we're not necessarily sure whether we were again absorbing them inhaling them even ingesting them or maybe it's just going into dust in the station and you didn't absorb it from you but all the other guys dust was there when you're eating your breakfast one morning okay and then we know now that they've gotten away from the pfo the ca and they're using different chemicals basically a cousin of a pfoa that's on that's on the moisture barrier on the outer shell, I'm not convinced they ever went away from what they always used, which turns into PFOA. It isn't PFOA when they use it. So it's this, this side chain fluoropolymer, which is C8 based. Um, and you know, it's, it was a surprise to some of the companies that, that were still C8 based. They didn't know uh, because it's all done abroad. But you know, it, this is a not PFOA, so therefore it didn't fall into the voluntary phase out. It's a N-ethylphosa, which is a uh, fluorinated octosulfonoamidic acids eventually. And so those, you know, that's not PFOA, uh, but it is a C8 structure that when it degrades in the sunlight and water uh, will t- over time, could be hours, could be months, uh, somewhere in that range, it'll turn into PFOA um, or if it gets in the bloodstream even quicker. So that's the concern that, it, that it's not just PFOA we should be looking for, but when in a court of law, PFOA is the only one that we've actually got cases already proven in a court of law that this thing causes problems. So everybody will point to that and say, oh, it's PFOA free. We're, fi- we're fine. I have an argument with that saying, look, I don't, I, just because C6 has not been found guilty in a court of law yet means it uh, is, isn't that mean it's safe. It just means that we haven't done enough studies. And I bet you in 10 years, they'll be phasing out C6 as well. And so the the concern is that, you know, oh, it's all safe now, we, we got rid of PFOA, is a bit of an overstatement. Um, and it certainly doesn't apply to every layer of the jacket, just the moisture barrier. Um, and that means that there are no firefighters alive, for example, that wore a jacket before 2014. I don't believe that. Uh, some, of us are, some of them are still wearing that. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's, you know, prior exposure we haven't talked about. We've, we've um, and, and the fact that the outer layer still sheds in. Is, is of concern. So clarify that a little bit in the sense that yes, things have gotten better because of this lawsuit back in 2012, but it was um, not the main issue that we found in the fact that all the inner line had plenty of before in it from wherever it came. So the, the manufacturers have now gone to the Okiotech standard. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yep. That's an industry standard that they use to confirm that it meets certain specifications. Um, if you have an Okiotech certificate, you can claim it doesn't have certain things in it because they've tested for it, which is good. Um, the Okiotech standard, there are several levels of them. There's a gold standard, there's an eco standard, and you can go up and up. If you pay more money, you can get a higher standard. Um, but they, of course, just test for what you ask them to test for. And so the primary Okiotech standard tests for C8 presence. 
and does it have P4 on it? Um, if the outer shell isn't made with P4 and the moisture barriers since 2014 haven't been dipped in solvent of P4, then those standards will come. And, and it's also a, uh, a industry standard of 25 part per million or something, so it's pretty large. Um, and if it's below that, then you don't have, uh, you don't have, uh, I forget what the standard number is, but it's, it's large, 25 uh, uh, could be part per billion. But it's one of those standards that is so high that um, you're not likely to see that in P4 alone as it is. But what we discovered, yeah, what we discovered is that there's a thousand times that of the replacement to P4. We found in the paper that we could soak it and get, you know, part per million levels of C4 off. And now C4 is different than C8. It's, uh, people will tell you, oh, it's much safer. And that's based on the idea that it spends much less time in your body. And so it's true, uh, P4 will spend five years in your body on average, uh, whereas this will spend just three weeks. So that must be safer, right? Because if you get some in your blood, this thing will wash out in a few weeks. The other thing will stay there for five years. That's the one that causes liver cancer, all sorts of bad things. <clears throat> However, kidney cancer. Um, but uh, my argument there is that's based on an exposure model of a single exposure. You got doused in some, you accidentally ingested some foam that was sprayed. You'll get a dosage, five years, you'll be half of it'll gone out of your body, you're good. What if you put on gear every day and the next morning you're starting to excrete that chemical? That means you're getting a little dosage every day, even though that washes out in three weeks. Most firefighters wear the gear more than you know, once every three weeks. So is that a possible source of exposure to a short chain chemical that's continuously in your bloodstream? We don't have any idea what that does in terms of health effects. Presumably less than PFOA, but we're not absolutely sure of that. Where do you think, where would you like to see this go from here? I mean, you, you were kind of on the ground floor of this uh, and kind of in a way, I guess, opened up Pandora's box. Um, where, where do we go next? Well, I don't need to frighten everybody. It's not going to be the end of the world today because we discovered this, but you like to know all the information before you play that poker hand, right? Uh, sure. As much as information as you know, you know the gear has got this stuff on it. Just look at it a little bit differently and hang it on the shelf and know that, yeah, when was the last time I washed that liner? When was the last time that it got uh, deconned and things like that? When was the, do I need to wear it all the time? Is there dust? from the equipment storage locker that's laying around. Does that dust get blown through the station? I mean, those are the types of questions you can ask, which really aren't changing anything but a few policies and procedures. And then let the experts at NIOSH confirm this and expand it. Let the uh, uh, administrative bodies that govern NFPAs to decide, you know, is it possible to meet this uh, water resistance requirement without flooring? And uh, I'm told that it is, so by experts that know how they do that. Um, so then the question is, why aren't we doing that? And if, you know, administrators that have the chance to purchase new equipment and new turnout gear are then offered a choice of, well, I can have the one with cancer-containing chemicals or the one that doesn't, I think that's a pretty obvious choice. I'm not talking about regulating it. We could go to the government, ask them to regulate it. That never works well, not in this country. Um, and it will be fought by industries that want to keep uh, doing the same thing. Uh, so why bother? Why don't we just use market forces and say, look, 
You have a choice of the cancerous one or the non-cancerous one. That's a pretty clear choice for most of us if it does the same function. And I'm not a fire service function person. That's that's somebody who's got to say that this gear is just as good. It doesn't add weight. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't have another toxic chemical that's worse. It's not made out of asbestos, is it? Uh, that type of stuff. And so uh, we should make sure that the gear is as safe as we can make it. And our argument is that PFAS is not the safest gear we can make. Um, it is certainly one of the most water resistant uh, chemicals we've ever made, but that's um, that's not the only reason we put this gear on. I wanted to kind of expound on what you said earlier. We still have to wear this gear. Um, it, it gives us our best chance, obviously, of not being able to fight fire, but we need to be more responsible with that. So extracurricular stuff, we need to kind of stop doing some things like uh, putting the kids, on, putting gear on kids. For example, um, put it, putting uh, uh, putting the uh, wearing our gear during the stair climbs. Uh, it, uh, there's there's obviously good reasons to condition firefighters. You know what, why they do it. They want you in full gear. They want you to work out. You know, there's a weight belt. I uh, maybe you should be doing that. Or you know, can you at least manufacture some gear that doesn't have it in for training? Um, that would be quicker and easier. Um, but I think you want to get used to the feel of it and things like that. Uh, there's all sorts of arguments as to why you should train in the gear, but I don't understand why we should be getting particularly sweaty in it if it isn't a fire situation. Um, there must be other things you can wear that will make you sweat too, um, just to make sure that you're conditioned. Um, and, and I'm not the expert there. You guys know how to do it, and nothing no. feels like the real thing, I'm sure, but it's one well, of those other equivalents. And, and there's even more areas too. You know, I, I think about uh, explorers. You know, we mm -hmm. have and, and explorers throughout the country, you know, these high school kids that uh, even grade school kids in some cases that are wearing definitely old gear, you know, before 2012. For example, probably shouldn't be wearing that anymore. Yeah, uh, we sh probably shouldn't even be sending it to Mexico. Or, or yes, exactly. We, we send it there. Um, no, you're, you're right on. So we just need to be a little bit more responsible about what we do with our gear and, and when we actually wear it. All right, once again, that was Dr. Graham Peasley, University of Notre Dame. Let's actually segue to another doctor, Dr. Jeff Burgess from the University of Arizona. I was able to interview him back in episode 48. So in this clip, you know, Dr. Burgess has been doing all these different studies with blood work with firefighters, and he's, you know, discusses here how he's incorporating PFOS uh, with blood work as well so he can try to figure out these trends and as uh you know from a rookie firefighter to when when they have multiple years on a job what is the difference in their PFOS level so without further ado here's Dr. Burgess University of Arizona. PFOS exposures some of them you know for example PFOA which is one that's no longer produced but can still be a breakdown product of some other PFOS chemicals um PFOS as well, those are two that are known to be associated with different types of cancers. So we know that from general studies, but a lot of the, there's a lot of other PFOS chemicals that you can measure in the body too. And some of these are, they're called forever chemicals because they don't leave the environment very quickly. And some of these stay in your body for years and years and years as well. So those are the ones that we've been focusing on. What these more of these legacy chemicals that have been in the bodies, not just of firefighters, but the general population of the U.S. 
So we can measure those. We have measured those in both new recruits and incumbent firefighters. And we can, since the CDC is doing the measurements, we can compare these directly to the measures of the general population. We can tell firefighters whether the level of the chemicals in their bodies are higher than the general population because they're in everybody's body. But we, we have that added, uh, you know, HFF foam, and we have, we know it's in our, or at least it was on our gear, and there's, if nothing else, a cousin of it on our, our current gear. Yes. And, and, and so I think, you know, you've mentioned a few things there, Jim, that I think are really critical to look at. So we've looked at PFAS levels so far. We haven't published this yet, we're getting it ready um, in about four different fire departments in different parts of the country. And these are just regular structural firefighter. These are not airport firefighter guys. So uh, most of them haven't had exposure to a lot of the aqueous film forming foams or AFFF. Um, so two of the departments had levels that were higher than the general population and two had levels that were about the same. So we don't know yet why that is. We don't know if it's something those fire departments did or if it's just people that live in those towns have higher levels. You know, so we're trying to get in to answer those questions right now. But the ones that we are seeing up are tend to be both PFHXS and PFOS. Those two types of chemicals have been shown to be elevated in firefighters that use AFFF, you know? And so that is one thing we're worried about. Even though these departments aren't using a lot of AFFF now, we don't have really good records on their past exposures, and that may have had something to do with it. We have, we're working with fire departments now, but we don't have those levels back yet. We expect their levels to be even higher for the airport firefighters, because they have been working a lot with AFFF over the years. So that is a big concern. And if any fire departments are out there that are working with AFFF, particularly the mill spec stuff that we know has the PFOS chemicals in it, and they're training with it, they should stop. There's really no reason to be training with this stuff anymore. You know, you should only be using it for fi actual fires. Because so it's gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna gain that exposure, but it's also gonna get into the water and everybody else is gonna end up in your community drinking that stuff. That's right, and as you know, Jim, a lot of places where they use this stuff for many years, both firefighter training sites and petrochemical sites too, because they use this stuff for refinery fires all the time, in fact, huge volumes, you know, can be used for those big petrochemical fires. So really, really large volumes. And that does get into the water. And as we said, it lasts forever. So it'll be in there. And right now, you know, it's not, it's, there's health advisories for PFAS levels in water, but it's not mandated, you know, by law that it can't exceed a certain amount. It's just a recommended level. So this is, it, it becomes a huge problem yeah, and if so, if it doesn't have to be used, I mean, the airports still have to use it right now if there's a burning plane. It, it works really well to put out, you know, those hydrocarbon fires. Floats on top, puts out the fire. So in those settings where life, you know, is you're, you're having a direct threat to life, it should still be used until they have, you know, all alternatives that can be used. But for training, there's really no, there's no point to use these things for training. Perfect. I'm excited to to see that. Do you have any idea when you'll actually be able to publish some some numbers and results for that? So we hope that by the end of the year, we'll have some information out about the, the departments. 
Part of it is, you know, since I mentioned the CDC labs that are doing the analysis are shut down, you know, they, uh, you, there's a, they have a big, they have more people that want to do tests than they have capacity. So it's taking a while for getting things through, but we still, still hope to get that information back. But the other thing that we can do is, and we're starting to do, and we're already looking at, and again, hopefully this will be out at the end of the year, we can look at associations between specific PFOS levels in the blood and those epigenetic markers I was telling you about. And we already have started with that. And certain of these, of these PFOS chemicals are associated with changes, epigenetic changes. We're seeing that already. And therefore we can say which ones we're more worried about than others in the firefighters because they're associated with these changes. And we'll be able to say which of those changes are associated with cancer or, or other diseases. And so we're working on that now and again, Hope to have that out by the end of the year. Have a little bit of a finer tooth comb about which chemicals to worry about. That said, the CDC only measures a certain limited set of PFAS chemicals that tend to be widespread. And there are many more PFAS chemicals, including, you know, in AFFF, you know, could be from, from in fires, from things burning, because we have, we have, PFAS on many things that are stain resistant and they burn right in fires as well. So we may get exposure that way. And then there's the really important question about whether people are getting exposures from their gear. So we know that PFAS is in gear. We don't know if it's getting into people yet. A really important question to answer so, so that firefighters have information to make decisions. But because of COVID-19, that part of our study has been on hold for about a half year. And we're just waiting so that we can return to do this to help answer those questions. All right. Once again, that was Dr. Jeff Burgess from the University of Arizona. He's all the way back in episode 48. Next up is uh, Nantucket's Secretary Treasurer for their IFF. Uh, this is episode 63 that Sean is in. And he we just uh, discussed the use of gear, how this stuff hasn't gone away for a few years. And and then transition even to talking about uh, water systems, which is, uh, I think, pretty interesting, if I must say so. This whole episode that Sean was in um, was pretty explosive. Uh, Sean just tells you how it is. Uh, he's been a seeker of truth and really has blown open the door on some of this PFOS stuff. So check that whole episode out if you haven't already, episode 63. But without further ado, I'll shut up and bring Sean in. You know, how many firefighters are there throughout the world that are wearing this stuff? There probably shouldn't be. If yeah. it is, if it is causing all these, all these different cancers and illnesses. Yeah. And at least give us the choice or at least give us the knowledge because they're not telling us, you know, nobody's telling us that they phased out PFOA because it's linked to cancer while we're all still wearing it. Nobody's telling us that, you know, no, why wasn't it recalled? Why, why didn't they send out letters? Even if you're abiding by an FPA and a 10-year rule, that still means, like you said earlier, we're still wearing that stuff. Right. And we will be for four or five more years. A couple more years, for sure. Yeah. And um, and then, and then you know, again, that C6, we don't know enough about it yet. Yeah, there has, right. There exactly. has, there's been a C8 panel, but there hasn't been a C6 panel. Right. And so when, so say nothing happens, 
10 years from now, they find C6, oh, sorry, it's linked to uh, brain cancer and, and all sorts of other things. They're just going to switch to something else and not tell us that. And we'll be stuck wearing that gear for 10 more years. That's how it's already gone, you know? Um, and they'll just buy the science so that they can keep operating. Uh, it, it's just a, it's the same story being told over and over again. And now it's the PFAS. It used to be tobacco. Um, it's the same thing. Yes. No, and it, flame retardants. And, right. and you and I won't be alive to even be able to say, I told you so. <laughs> no, we won't. And uh, those companies will still be making billions of dollars um, and pretending that they're not doing anything wrong. You know, and then so one, one thing that came up recently that has kind of blown my mind. Guess who now is in the water purification business? Who? DuPont. No. So DuPont, they call it DuPont Water Solutions. And uh, they they're trying to clean up our water for a fee, of course, right? That's how they're making money now. So they're responsible. It's a truly evil company who is responsible for contaminating the entire world, basically, right? Them, 3M, and a few others. But DuPont's the big one. They've contaminated all of us, all of our blood, all of our children, um, our groundwater, the environment, polar bears, you name it, you're gonna find their chemicals. And instead of admitting responsibility, they just uh, kind of swung off into something called chemors. Now they blame it all on them, even though they're basically the same people. They, ju they just changed the name. And now you can pay them to help clean up your water that they're responsible for contaminating. And nobody nobody seems to mind. Where's the government? Where's the EPA? It's just how things appear to operate. And uh, meanwhile, people like us are the ones who are affected by it. No, this is audio, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, you and I can see each other and it's just, you just gotta shake your head, man. Yeah, it's incredible. It doesn't, I can't even believe, it's almost funny how in, insane it is that DuPont has DuPont water solutions you know and follow them you can follow them on uh, social media and it's like they're you know it's like they don't even recognize who they are just the hypocrisy of the whole thing yes God. <laughs> well I don't know how I'm gonna top that <laughs> Well, that concludes our PFOS bonus episode, holiday special, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, I'll have another episode that's kind of similar, uh, best of next week, kind of just taking a little bit of time off, and then we'll get right back to it, uh, 2021, and keep going from there. So happy holidays. Uh, take care, everyone, and I will be back soon enough.